Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, a number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. Also, you can chat with us at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan via the chat room, come on in and we'll we'll chat it up as I talk it up and have a good old time. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and chat with us on Twitter at go for again G O F O R I G A N T. Follow me there, chat with me there. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be doing by 49ers corner Terrell Brown. Terrell Brown has a great event coming up with his foundation here in June. Big time event he has coming up. Uh, with the Terrell Brown Brown Kids Foundation, so we're going to definitely talk to him about some of the events he has going on, and also talk to him about the 49ers that had the OTAs this week and lost uh, a big loss. Michael Crabtree uh, with the Achilles. Um, there's a belief that he could be back before the season, but that's definitely going to be a big loss. He had a big time year, 40 49ers in 2012. Also, expect to be joined by 49ers linebacker Navarro Bowman. And, and Navarro's hosting a big-time fundraising event uh, with, uh, in conjunction with Urban Ed Academy. So Navarro's going to talk about that and talk about uh, the mini camps as well from his perspective, how he saw it. So great show lined up for you today. I'm going to start now in the NBA. What a game that we saw Wednesday night with the Heat and the Indiana Pacers. What a game we saw Wednesday night. I mean, that was a back-and-forth type of game, nip and tuck. You know, it was a battle. And it's kind of what you expected coming into this series between these two teams. I mean, <clears throat> Indiana's not going to roll over. Indiana's a talented ball club. Indiana gave Miami fits last year. Gave them fits in the Eastern Conference semifinals. At one point, they were up 2-1 in the series with the home game with the opportunity to go up 3-1. Well, the way LeBron James stepped up and ultimately the Heat would take over that series and ultimately the Heat would win that series. But the point I'm trying to make is Indiana is a tough, tough basketball team. They're a tough basketball team, and they proved it the other night. They definitely proved it the other night. I mean, they really had that game. In terms of you know, in terms of winning that game, that that was theirs. I don't want to say it's theirs to lose, but I mean, when you're up a point with two seconds to go, you know, you're expecting to win that ball game. When you're up that kind of points with that much time to go, you're expected to win that game. And you know, LeBron James is LeBron James. That that's kind of the bottom line. LeBron James is LeBron James. Paul George did help him out. You could argue that Frank Vogel 
helped him out by not having Roy Hibbert in the game. And obviously Paul George helped him out by basically overplaying the play and giving him a free lane. Giving him a free lane. And LeBron James took advantage of that free lane. But how about Paul George? How about Paul George and his play in that game one? The plays that Paul George made. The big three to go into overtime. And then he gets fouled on the three-point shot by D. Wade, and he steps up and hits three big foul shots. So two clutch plays there by Paul George. Two clutch plays by Paul George. And if you don't believe it now, I don't know where you're ever going to believe it, but it's about time that well, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. It's almost time for us to call Paul George a superstar. He's getting close to that status, his versatility, the way he defends, the way he gets to the lane, the way he shoots the ball, his athleticism. It's close, folks. It's getting very close. And it's almost time for us to call Paul George a superstar. He balled out. And, you know, coming into this season, you could argue, well, not argue, you probably would definitively say that the best player on the Indiana Pacers was Danny Granger. You're probably saying the best player on the Indiana Pacers is Danny Granger. That's what you're probably saying coming into this season. Granger doesn't play a single minute this year. Well, he does play. He did play a minute. I'll take that back. But obviously he was never 100%. Never was 100%. But the reality is Paul George is the best player on that team, and Paul George stepped up and hit two big clutch shots down the stretch there. Two big shots. And and I'm including the free throw and those three free throws, but that three to end the game, to go into overtime was incredible. That was a tough, tough shot that he made. That was a tough shot. That was a superstar-type shot that he made. And he made it. And he made it. And then after he made the three free throws, you're saying to yourself, Indiana's probably going to win this game. Indiana's probably going to win this game. But LeBron James is the MVP for a reason. LeBron, LeBron James is an MVP for a reason. If you don't believe it now, I don't know if you'll ever believe. But he had a big shot there down the stretch to put the uh, heat up too. And then, you know, we hold the, had the whole situation with Paul George. And, you know, that three money foul shots, three pressure-packed foul shots by Paul George. And he had them through all three. Not two, but three. Three big-time foul shots by Paul George to put the Pacers up one. And then LeBron James did what LeBron James has been doing throughout the course of this year. Paul George overplays the play. LeBron James goes right by him. Ball game, game over, one nothing. 
Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. LeBron James now, and you know, not only did he hit the game winner, not only hit, I mean, he he had the the he had the one shot that the layup that put him up two, and then he had the uh, the layup that ultimately would win the game at the buzzer. And oh, by the way, he messed around and got a triple double, thirty ten and ten. What a performance by LeBron James. And you could argue, again, that Frank Vogel, with his decision to leave out Roy Hibbert, his decision, well, not necessarily, you know, well, leaving out Roy Hibbert on two occasions there where LeBron got the layup to take the lead and then uh, when LeBron had the layup to, to for the game winner, both in overtime. You could argue that his in this, his decision to keep Roy Hibbert out of of the game late in that game to guard the basket was one of the reasons that the Miami Heat were able to win. Give LeBron James credit. He is a superstar. He is a four-time MVP for a reason. And he is the best player in this game. And interesting stat. And speaking of the whole Roy Hibbert, should he been in, should he not been in, you know, you look at it, and I'm reading some research notes here off ESPN.com, and let me read. LeBron James scored two go-ahead field goals on drives, including the game winner in the final 11 seconds of overtime with Roy Hibbert on the bench. The Heat scored 46 points on drives in game one, averaging 1.36 Points per drive with Hibbert off the court compared to 0.93 points per drive with Hibbert on the court. You see that stat, and that's an indictment on Frank Vogel. You see that stat, and and you say, you know what, maybe it was a mistake not to have Roy Hibbert on the floor in that particular situation. In those particular situations, two situations, two situations, two situations. But LeBron James, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, with Roy Hibbert on or off the court, I can't take away what LeBron James did. 30, 10, and 10. 30, 10, and 10. Other notes, LeBron James, the first player in NBA postseason history with a triple-double and a buzzer-beater game winner in the same game. Wow. LeBron James is the second player in NBA history with at least 30 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and three blocks in a playoff game. The only other player was Ralph Sampson in 1986. Wow. Wow. Since the 2006 postseason, a player has had a playoff triple-double with at least 30 points four times. All four of those players happen to be named LeBron James. Happen to be named LeBron James. And 
He's creeping up the ladder for most playoffs, most career playoff triple-doubles. Creeping up the ladder. Magic's at 30. He's got a long time to get to 30. He's going to have to work awfully hard to have 30 triple-doubles. But the second is Jay Kidd. LeBron is at 9. Larry Bird's at 10. Rondo's at 10. LeBron James may have the second most career playoff triple-doubles by this end of these playoffs. By the end of these playoffs, LeBron James may be the second, have the second most career triple-doubles in playoff history. Wow. Wow. LeBron James is slowly, slowly inching his way to Jordan-like status. I mean it's and it's only one game in these playoffs and we got a we got this is going to be a long series. Let's be clear about that. This is going to be a very long series. This is probably going 7. A very long series. The Pacers are a team that can match, match they match up well against the Heat. They match up well against the Miami Heat. They're beef down low Hibbert. David West, Tyler Hansbro, the beef that they have down low is going to keep them in this series and it's going to stretch this series out. Roy Hibbert, 19-9 in game one. David West, 26-5. And, and then 10 big points by Tyler Hansbro off the bench. So they're bigs had some success. There was a lot of success with the Indiana Pacer bigs. A lot of success. A lot of success. So that fact alone is going to keep them in this series. 72 points, 82 points combined with West, George, Hibbert, and Hansborough off the bench. 82 points combined from the Pacer bigs, including Paul George and Tyler Hansborough off the bench. Hansborough off the bench, not George. So, Indiana's going to have to continue to have that advantage down low. George Hill's going to have to play better, and you're going to have to get more from Lance Stevenson as well. George Hill had some struggles in that game one. He had some struggles. Stevenson as well, 0 for 5 from downtown. So they're going to have to get more from Stevenson and more from George Hill. Because I don't know if you can expect David West, 26-5, and 26.5 boards every game. I, I, I don't think you can expect that out of David West. I think that's a lot to ask of David West. I really do. So I think you're going to have to get other guys stepping up their play. Guys like Hill, George Hill, two for nine in that game. You got to do better. Lance Stevenson, two for ten, zero for five from downtown. You got to do better. 
You got to do better. And, and I think in order for Indiana to make this a long series, of course, you got to have that front court production, which I think they'll get, but you got to get some, play, some points from unlikely sources. Those 10 points by Tyler Hansbrough, unlikely source. You got to get those unlikely source points. You got to continue to get those unlikely source points. Maybe DJ Augustine, who had eight points the other night, maybe he comes out and gives you 15 one night. You got to get those unexpected points. And you expect those role players to get those unexpected points out on the road, but at home. Role, player, role players tend to be at their best. When they're playing at the crib, their crib, their home spot. That's when role players are at their best. But again, you can't expect 26-5 and five out of David West each and every night in this series. You can't expect it. You can't expect it. But this game, too, is going to be very interesting. And I'm looking at this game, too, and I'm saying to myself, now I'm saying it to you, um, you look at game two between the Spurs and Golden State Warriors. Game one, obviously a game that the Golden State Warriors should have won. And then you wonder what kind of effort would Golden State have in game two, and you also wondered what type of effort would would you get out of the San Antonio Spurs, being that they really didn't play well in game one, and being that, they really should have lost game one. Similar situation in some respect with the Indiana Pacers in the Miami Heat game one. Pacers, well, they probably should have won. I mean, you could argue, okay, Paul George is a big-time three at the end of uh, regulation. I mean, that that's, you know, that's not something you get every time. But the point I'm trying to make is at the end of the day, you up one with two seconds left. Up one, two seconds left, more often than not, you're going to win that game. So you wonder what kind of energy are the Pacers are going to come out with in game two, what kind of adjustments they'll make in game two. Because the playoffs are all about adjustments. I mean, you, you, you know these teams inside and out. You know them inside and out in some respect. I mean, you're only in game two, but by the time you get to game three, game four, you know these teams. You, you, you know what they like to do and what they don't like to do. You probably know that already, but now you, you, you have firsthand knowledge. You, you, you're seeing it for your own eyes on the court, with your own eyes, I should say, on the court. But to me, unlikely sources have to step up for the Pacers. Unlikely sources have to step up for the Pacers. That's what's got to happen. That's what's got to happen. So we'll see what happens here tonight. I'm expecting the Indiana Pacers to get it done tonight. I expect them to steal game two tonight. Um, I expect them to get this victory. I expect... Effort to have a game. I expect George to continue to be successful. But I expect George Hill to have a better game tonight. I think we're going to see a little more of George Hill tonight. 
George Hill is going to have to have a better game, and I think I, I expect him to have it. And he's not an unlikely source as far as I'm concerned. An unlikely source is somebody coming off the bench. An unlikely source, well, it could be Lance Stevenson. Maybe Lance Stevenson goes off the way he went off game six against the Knicks. The way he went off against the Knicks in game six with 25 and 10. So Lance Stevenson has the capabilities of going off. Maybe Lance Stevenson is that guy, that unlikely source, who balls out tonight. You're going to need unlikely sources. Lance Stevenson was an unlikely source. I mean, he his play against the Knicks in game six, was one of the reasons the Indiana Pacers have advanced to the conference finals. That is one of the reasons. That was one of the reasons. I mean, you remember that game on Saturday. I mean, the Pacers put it away because of Lance Stevenson and his play. They put it away because of Lance Stevenson. In his play, that's why they put game six away, and that's why they are where they are today. I got to be honest with you. I don't want to see the Pacers in the NBA Finals. I want to see the Pacers be competitive against the Miami Heat. I want to see a seven-game series. You know what I want to see? What I saw back in 1998 with the Chicago Bulls and the Indiana Pacers, where that series went seven games. But at the end of the day, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls advanced to the NBA Finals. This is what I want to see here. I want to see a tough, rough, competitive conference. Eastern Conference Finals. That's what I want to see. But I want to see the Miami Heat win and ultimately get to the NBA Finals. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. That's just me. I mean, you remember that series back in 1998. That was a good series. That was a very good series. That was a very good series. And, you know, that was Reggie Miller and those Pacer teams, Rick Smiths, and those boys back then. Dell Davis, Mark Jackson. I mean, that was that, was that team. But I, 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 I don't want to see a Spurs or Memphis Pacers NBA Finals from just purely being an NBA fan, a guy who cares and loves the NBA. What's good for the NBA, I mean, superstars is what the NBA sells. They sell superstars. They sold you Michael Jordan, and you bought it, and Michael Jordan was in the finals darn near every year. You bought it. You loved it because Michael Jordan was there every year, and he is a superstar. You enjoyed Watching Michael Jordan. 
the NBA sells superstars. You wanted Shaq and Kobe in the NBA Finals year in and year out. You know why? Because you, as fans, like superstars. And, oh, by the way, the NBA sells superstars. That's what you wanted. As much as you hate the big three, you like watching the big three. You like watching Bron Bron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh. You like watching those guys. You may hate them. You, you, you might say, oh, they bought a dynasty or bought a, bought a championship. You might say all those things about the Miami Heat. Oh, those guys, you know, they all signed with each other in a big market. You know, they all planned it, so on and so forth. You may have all those things to say about the Miami Heat. But guess what? You like watching the Miami Heat. You love watching the Miami Heat. Whether you root for them, whether you hate them, you love them. And as we all know, within hate, there is a lot of love. There is a lot of love in hate. Give us some thought. So as far as I'm concerned, with that being said, I want to see a tough, I want to see a rough, I want to see a very competitive Eastern Conference Finals. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, in that Game 7, I want to see the Miami Heat celebrating. I want to see the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. That's what I want to see. I think we'll get it. I, I think that's what we'll get. I think that's what we'll get. But hey, you never know, and I, you know, I, and I know the conspirators, the conspiracy theories, individuals, everybody that talks about conspiracies and so on and so forth. It's, it's rigged, and the NBA is rigged, and uh, you know, they want certain teams to do this and that. The officials call it in ways where certain teams will be able to win. I, I, I get all that. I get all that. I get all that. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. But let's be real. The NBA wants the Miami Heat to get to the NBA Finals. Whether it's it's against the Spurs or the Grizzlies, they want the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And I don't think anybody can truly argue that. That's what the NBA wants. And I can't blame them. And I think what they also want is a tough series between the Pacers and Heat. And I can't blame them for that. And I think they'll get that as well. This will be a perfect scenario for the NBA. Seven-game series, Pacers heat, heat advancing, heat in the NBA Finals, possibly against the Spurs. I mean, I've heard, I saw this somewhere, uh, you know, Spurs, heat, you can sell that storyline. LeBron James, last time he faced off against the Spurs in the NBA Finals, he was swept by the Spurs. That was a young LeBron James. That was a Cleveland Cavaliers team. I mean, on that roster, you, you had the likes of Eric Snow, Ilgoskis, Danielle Marshall, to name Sasha Pavlovich, to name a few. I mean, that was an incredible run by LeBron James, how he was able to carry that Cleveland Cavaliers team all the way to the NBA Finals. That was incredible. And that performance against Detroit, where he scored what, something like 25 straight points in the Eastern Conference Finals and what scored 48 points in that particular game. <clears throat> I mean, that was incredible. That was incredible, and that and that's why 
you know, a lot of people used to say LeBron's not clutch, LeBron's this, LeBron's that. I'm saying to myself, did you see the team that he took to the NBA Finals? Did, did you see that team? Could you name anybody who could take that team to the NBA Finals? And I also will give Allen Iverson a lot of credit for what he did with the 2000-2001 Philadelphia 76ers, how he was able to take that team to the NBA Finals. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, you look at that Sixer team and the talent that they had on that team, and it's truly, truly, truly amazing. Like LeBron James, truly, truly amazing how he was able to take the Cleveland Cavaliers team to the NBA Finals. That was amazing. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, LeBron James is special. LeBron James is the best player in this game. And LeBron James and the Miami Heat, from my perspective, hopefully make it to the NBA Finals. And I know those people in New York, Adam Silver, and those guys in New York want, want the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. That's what they want. And maybe they can sell their storyline with the Spurs, and that would be a good storyline to sell. They can sell a nice little storyline. But maybe it won't be the Spurs. Maybe it will be the Grizzlies. And I had the Grizzlies winning this series in six. They're down 2-0. And, you know, more often than not, you're down 2-0. And more often than not, the series from a lot of people's perspective, is usually over. But this Memphis Grizzlies team, this is a team that encountered a 2-0 deficit in the first series they played in these playoffs against the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, they were down 2-0 in that series, and you're saying to yourself, it's over. The way the Clippers were playing, you're saying to yourself, it's over. But not only did the Grizzlies win the series, but they did not lose another game in that series. Didn't win, lose another game. Did not lose another game. And then you look at San Antonio. You remember last year. San Antonio was in this exact same position against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Up 2-0, dominating OKC, and then you're saying to yourself, that series is over. Maybe OKC is just not ready for this stage, and then we all know what happened. We all knew what happened. few adjustments here, few adjustments there, and ultimately OKC was able to get to the NBA Finals, but Memphis is not OKC. Memphis is not OKC. They're not. But they are a tough-minded ball club. They're one of the more tough, tougher teams in this NBA, mentally, physically. I mean, obviously, the Chicago Bulls, obviously, that's the toughest team in the NBA, mentally. You can even maybe argue physically. That's a tough-minded team. That's the type of team you have to shoot not once, not twice, not three times, but you've got to make sure 
you kill a team like the Chicago Bulls. Grizzlies are not too far behind that. Not too far behind that. And, you know, I think they're going to have some confidence now, especially the way they ended game two. Game one, they were blown out. Game two, um, you know, Spurs in complete control throughout. Then the Grizzlies made a nice little run to end the ball game. Took it to overtime. Had an opportunity in overtime. Had an opportunity in overtime. But maybe now, maybe now, the Grizzlies will use what they took, well, excuse me, will take what they had and what they accomplished and what they did near the end of that ball game and use it to help them moving forward. Use it to help them to make adjustments and ultimately help them to win this series. Between these two teams, the last 20 games, the home team has won 17 of those last 20 games. The home team has won 17 of the last 20 games between these two teams. So you have to say advantage Memphis at least for these next two. But the key to the Grizzlies, as far as I'm concerned, is what they can get from their guards and their wing players. I I think you know what you're going to get from Zebo. I think you know what you're going to get from Mark Gasol. The key is, what are you getting now from everybody else? What are you getting from a Tayshaun Prince? What are you getting from a Tony Allen? What are you getting from a Jared Bayless, a Quincy Pondexter, a Mike Conley? These are the guys who are going to have to step up for Memphis if Memphis wants to be successful in this series. You're going to have to get big-time play out of Prince, Allen Conley, Bayless, Pondexter, all your wing players. Your wing players are going to have to be able to score points for you. Your guards are going to have to be able to score points for you. Mike Conley has done that throughout the course of these playoffs. I mean, he outplayed Chris Paul in round one. He outplayed Chris Paul. And he's going to continue to have to have that type of success, that 18 points per game in the playoff type success, if his team wants to be successful, if he wants to take this team to the NBA Finals. That's the type of play they're going to have to get from Mike Conley. He wasn't bad. He was not bad in game two. 18.6 for 14 from the field. Not bad. Tony Allen's got to give you a little more. Tayshaun Prince, you got to try to see if you can get a little more from him. And I'm not saying you're going to get a lot from Tayshaun Prince. You're just not. I mean, his last five games that he's played, two points, eight points, two points, four points, nine points. Last five games, he's averaged five points per game. If he gives you ten in a game, that's a great night. Last ten games for Tayshaun Prince in these playoffs, seven points per game. 
So you're not going to get a lot from Tayshaun Prince. That's just the reality of the situation. You're not. You're just not going to get the big-time production in terms of the points from Tayshaun Prince. Just not. But they're going back to the grindhouse. And in the grindhouse, they're going to have to grind. They're going to have to grind in the grindhouse. They're going to have to grind. And obviously, judging by what we've seen thus far in these playoffs, they are capable of grinding. They are capable of playing a big-time game. They are capable of winning this series. A lot of people picked the Memphis Grizzlies in this series. And maybe the Spurs saw that and said, you know what? They must have forgot. (laughs) They must have forgot who we are, what we are, what we have done over the years. They forgot Tim Duncan's four titles. They must have forgot. They forgot the three chips with Tony Parker and Ginobili. They must have forgot. People forget. Greg Popovich is probably second best coach in the NBA over the past 20 years. Phil Jackson is Phil Jackson and it's probably Pop. Jackson is Pop. People forget that. Second best coach in the last 20 years is Greg Popovich. Second best behind Phil Jackson. People forget that. So this is a big-time coach, Tim Duncan, still getting it done. Obviously, he's not the same player that he once was, but he's still getting it done. Still getting it done. 17-9 the other night. As I said before, I'll say it again. I thought the Memphis Grizzlies, and still think the Memphis Grizzlies, could give the heat a big-time series, could beat the Heat. But the Spurs can, too. They have one thing that the Grizzlies don't have, guys that can score on the wings. Ginobili and Parker, obviously, and Kawhi Leonard's a guy that can put the ball in the basket. They have a little more offensively than Memphis. I think Memphis has a little more down low with their bigs. I mean, that's the best power forward and center combination in the game, Gasol and Zach Randolph. Best combination of center and power forward in basketball right now. Those two. The best. Well, those two are going to have to step up, and I I think they will step up. But, again, the key is who else is going to help them. Tony Allen, Tayshaun Prince, we know you can defend but you're going to have to give us a little more points. You're going to have to, I think, add a little more points for the ball club. Mike Conley, you're going to have to continue to play the way you played against Chris Paul and the Clippers and the way you played against Oklahoma City. You're going to have to continue to be that guy if you want success for your team. Jared Bayless, the guy who came off the bench and gave him a spark. 18 points, 
off the bench. Mr. Bayless, you're going to have to continue to do that. You're going to have to continue to play that way. You're going to have to continue to play that way. Mike Conley's capable. Jared Bell is, is, is capable, capable of filling it up. He can fill it up. He's capable of that. And he showed it the other night. I mean, he could score. So you're going to have to get that production from those guys if success is wanted by the Memphis Grizzlies as they go to the grindhouse. I expect the Grizzlies to win the two games here at the grindhouse. I expect the Grizzlies to grind out two games here in Memphis. They're in Memphis, I should say. And I expect this series to go back to San Antonio tied at two with a big-time game five on the line. I think the Grizzlies will win the next final four games. I don't think they'll lose another game in this series. I think the Grizzlies are going to win this thing in six. That's my prediction at the beginning. I'm going to stick with it. I think the Grizzlies sweep the final four games of this series starting tomorrow night. I think they're going to take the momentum from game two. That's going to help them in game three and four. And they're going to take that momentum from games three and four, and that's going to propel them in game five and six. I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to have to, if it's going to happen, you're going to have to do a better job of corralling Tony Parker. I mean, granted, he was only 6 for 20 from the field, but those 18 assists, he wrecked havoc with those 18 assists. He caused a lot of trouble with those 18 assists. So you're going to have to settle that down a little bit. That's going to have to be settled a little bit if you want success. That's going to have to be settled a little bit. You're going to have to settle that down a little bit. You can't have Tony Parker just running all around the court and 18 assists. I mean, that, that's you can't you, you can't have that. You're going to have to limit Tony Parker. I mean, they dominate the game with the pass, and that's coming off almost that's coming on coming off almost a double double, 20 and nine in game one. So you're going to have to do a better job with Tony Parker. Going to have to do a better job of corralling Tony Parker if you want to have success in this series. You can't have him running around dropping 18 assists. That is something you can't have. You can't have that, especially if you want to win. That's something you can't have. Can't have him doing that. So... I think the Grizzlies will make adjustments. I think, you know, some of these role players, and we all know what role players do at home. Role players step up at home. I expect those role players to step up at home. I expect that to happen. I expect that to happen. And we all know what role players do at home. Role players play much better at home. Friendly confines of home. The grindhouse. 
So that's what I expect. I expect Memphis to win games three and four. And, oh, by the way, I expect Memphis to win games five and six. That's what I expect. But, again, we shall see. It should be very, very interesting to watch over the next week. Switching gears now to the NFL. Big-time situation with the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, losing the services of Michael Crabtree for an extended period of time. Towards Achilles' attendant during OTAs on Tuesdays, underwent surgery on Wednesday. It's going to take at least 6 to 12 months for him to return. 6 to 12 months. That's a long time. And if he returns, how healthy will he be? That was your number one wideout last year. That was your number one wide receiver a year ago. And to lose him now, you know, during OTAs is tough. That's tough. To lose him during OTAs is tough. That's tough. And that's your number one wideout. That's your number one wide receiver. Your number one wide receiver. Your number one wide receiver. And he's going for possibly the year. Quite possibly could be going for that's tough. That's tough. But we'll see how the 49ers will be able to adjust. We'll see if the Niners will adjust. As you're listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio.
Hey, what that? up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. And we're back. And I tell you, we're going to be joined moments, any moment now, by Terrell Brown of the San Francisco 49ers. It's very interesting to get his take on how the Niners will adjust without Michael Crabtree in the mix. I mean, that's obviously a big-time loss. It's difficult to replace the type of production Michael Crabtree had in 2012. Difficult to replace that type of production. That's difficult to replace. Can you replace it? I'm sure anything every in anything in life is replaceable. But it's going to be difficult. And you you know the one thing about football and one thing about sports in general that's the big thing about sports. It's staying healthy. Staying healthy. That's the big thing about sports, if you can stay healthy. And we're going to bring him in now, San Francisco 49ers corner, Terrell Brown. Terrell. What's happening, fellas? How y'all? How are you? How you doing? Man, I'm doing good. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. How y'all doing today? Doing well, man. And, and Terrell, you guys had your OTAs this week. Some bad news from the OTAs. Michael Crabtree tore his Achilles. Talk about what that means for you guys now at this point. Um, another guy has to step up. You know, uh, it's unfortunate, but um, you know that just gives the younger guys the opportunity to step up and. We're looking forward to see who's going to step up to the plate and, uh, you know, take his position and, and uh, definitely make a name for themselves. Now, other than the Crabtree news, how excited were you to be on the field again for the OTAs? Uh, it's, uh, it's always good, you know, getting back with the teammates, getting back with the guys, everybody out there trying to jail uh, back together and just, you know, knock the rust off and get the cobwebs out your feet. So it's always good to see the guys and uh, excited about, you know, the work that they've been doing. Now, did you sense that uh, your team has had some, some tough things happen to them over the last two seasons? You had the situation with the Giants in the NFC Championship game, a game you probably should have won, at least I think. And then you also had the Super Bowl loss against the Ravens. Talk about what those two experiences have taught you guys. Uh, finishing games, you know, uh, nothing is promised in this league, and you got to go out there and fin- finish. You know, you have to prepare yourself throughout the week to get yourself ready for big-time games like that, and we came up short in both of those games. So now we know what that feels like, and we definitely uh, learn from it, and we definitely don't want to have that same feeling again. Does that put a little chip on your shoulder? 
I think so. I think uh, we always have a chip on our shoulder. I think when you uh when you're one of the top teams in the league or you feel like you're one of the best teams in the league, uh, you go out every week with a chip on your shoulder to prove that week in and week out. And for us as a team, you know, a lot of teams are going to be gunning for us, and we understand that. So we're getting ourselves mentally and physically prepared, and I think we'll be ready for uh, week one. Now, Terrell, I look at the Super Bowl now against the Ravens. To be honest with you, I thought you guys were the better team. The result is the result. It is what it is at this point. But do you feel like you guys were the better team going into that game? I think so. But, you know, the better team doesn't always win. You know, they beat us that night, and uh, we didn't play our best football, and it came down to a few plays here and there. You know, and, uh, you know, we made a few mistakes, and so did they. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, we take a – we took a big loss and uh, something that we don't want to feel again, so we definitely have to uh, get back to the drawing board, work as a team to get better, and just work on our, uh, work on the mistakes that we did have in that game. We're talking to 49ers corner Terrell Brown. and Terrell, this offseason you guys lost your Pro Bowl safety, Deshaun Golson, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a guy you called the heart and soul of your defense and your secondary. How different will your secondary be? without Golston in 2013? Oh, it'll be definitely different. You know, when you're losing a, a, a player of that caliber, uh, a Pro Bowl player, uh, also a leader in the secondary. But, you know, I feel like uh, all of us are leaders back there. We all fed off of each other. We all, you know, pulled each other through. We all made plays in the back. So everybody just has to step their game up just a little more and then just fill in for those pieces. You know, we have a lot of uh, great additions to the team that we brought in, so we look forward to those guys helping out and, and uh, making a great contribution to the uh, secondary as well. Now, offensively, you guys brought in Anquan Bolden and you, to go along with the explosive quarterback that you have in Colin Kaepernick. you got to be excited about the possibilities on the offensive side of football. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think any time you can bring in weapons like that or or, or bring in a player of, of his caliber, you know, and, and see the things that he's done in the league, you know, uh, week in and week out, and he's definitely a competitor, uh, plays in the slot and also outside, very strong, very physical guy. So he definitely brings a, a leadership presence and also, you know, a, a physical presence on the field as well. We're talking to 49ers corner Terrell Brown. And, Terrell, you had another solid season last year, man, and, you know, during the off season, you picked up racquetball. Talk about yeah. racquetball and how it's prepared you for the upcoming season. Uh, just the quickness. I think uh, change of direction, just being quick, uh, hand-eye coordination. Uh, it was something that uh, one of my University of Texas coaches put me on, and, uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with it from there. It's something uh, I'm very competitive at everything that I do. So my first couple times, you know, him beating up on me pretty good, uh, you know, made me want to really, you know, focus on and and definitely, you know, take it up as a sport of mine. So uh, it's definitely helped my quickness, my speed, my agility, and uh, my hand-eye coordination. So should we forget about football and go on to racquetball for Terrell Brown? <laughs> Uh, no such thing, no such thing. You know, I'm still, you know, the game, uh, I love everything about the game. I'm just working on, you know, trying to get better in any way possible, you know, and especially in this profession, it's, it's either you're getting better or getting worse, no staying the same. So for me and all the other players on our team, we're just working to get better and, and working to have a better year each year. Now, Terrell, last season your personal goal was to lead the league in interceptions. What is your personal yeah. goal going into 2013? 
The same thing. I mean, my goals will never stop. My goals always set high. Uh, I definitely want to lead the league in interceptions, but I also want to uh, cover the number one receiver uh, on the opposite team every week. So that's my goal. That's what I'm training for. That's what I'm working towards, and uh, that's what I'm putting in all this hard work during the off season for. So I look forward to it. Uh, I'm always up for the challenge, uh, and I've always been a very big competitor. So um, that's just always, you know, one of my goals in my now, Terrell, you're doing some big things also, Phil, with your Brown Kids Foundation. you got some big events coming up June 21st and 22nd in Mesquite, Texas, as you will have your sixth annual football and cheer camp. Tell us about it. Well, it'll be uh, – we changed the date. It'll be June 14th through okay. 16th weekend uh, in Mesquite. Uh, you know, we, we come out. I bring out about 10 to 12 NFL players. Uh, friends of mine who uh, support my camp and the things that I do in the community. This is my sixth annual camp, like you said, and just look forward to just spending time with the kids, man. It's free for all the kids. It's a uh, free football and cheerleading camp. We have uh, an event at Celebration Station on the 14th. Uh, you can check everything out at terrellbrown.org. Uh, and it's just a great event, man. It's always a, a blessing of mine. It's always been an opportunity of mine that I've always looked forward to, just giving back to my community and giving back to the people that, you know, has blessed me in so many ways and the fans that supported me, you know, through my ups and downs in the league. So uh, it's just a small token that I've been doing, you know, throughout my career that, you know, I've always wanted to give back. And as we all know, Terrell loves the kids. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and, man, not only are you doing big things with your foundation, but I heard you're doing big things in the kitchen. Talk about Terrell yeah. Brown, the cook. <laughs> uh, that's a set of question. Yeah, I like to cook. Uh, you know, I try to, I try to, you know, create different little little setups for myself in the kitchen. Uh, my nutritionist, she she helps me out a lot with you know creating different things, and she's always been a, a great supporter of mine of, of me cooking and. And just learning, teaching myself how to cook and cook healthy. You know, uh, your body is, is is your money. So especially in this business, you get what you put out of it. So, you know, I'm putting good things in my body, and I want, you know, my body to perform for me uh, on the big stage. So uh, cooking has definitely been something I've been picking up on for the past couple of years, and uh, I look forward to getting better and better in the kitchen. What's your specialty? To be honest with you, uh Tilapia, tilapia and salmon. Okay. Uh, I'm big on, you know, s- seafood and, and fish and things like that. Uh, you know, a lot of sauté, spinach. Uh, you know, we we try to do roasted potatoes and things like that. So I try to be creative in the kitchen. The things I cook. Uh, you know, I just left the grocery store a few few hours ago, so uh, I picked up a nice few items. So uh, I look forward to cooking them and burning them down a little bit. So you're gonna whip something up special tonight. Yeah, got to, got to. It's Friday night, so I got to enjoy my Friday the right way. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And it's Friday night, and there's also a big NBA game going on tonight, Heat and Pacers. Who you got yeah, winning yeah. this series, and who do you have winning the NBA Finals? Uh, to be honest with you, I think the the Heat are going to win the, the NBA Finals, to, to be honest with you. I think they have uh, too many weapons uh their bench is playing really well right now, and if you notice, every team that wins the championship, the, the bench uh, is, is very key in that uh, in those wins. So I think they'll they'll do a great job uh, this year of finishing out and and getting their uh, their second ring. I, I agree with you. I don't see anybody out here that can beat the Miami Heat. Maybe the Grizzlies, maybe the Memphis Grizzlies, but they may not even get past the San Antonio Spurs. So it's going to be very tough to beat. 
the Miami Heat. Terrell, pleasure having you, man. And fans, make sure you go to TerrellBrown.net to hear about this great, great event coming up June 14th through the 16th in Mesquite, Texas. Sixth annual Terrell Brown football camp and cheer camp as well. So a lot of great, great things going on with Terrell Brown. Terrell, pleasure having you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. Take care. How are you, too? Terrell Brown, corner for the San Francisco 49ers. And, again, the San Francisco 49ers, tough, tough loss, losing Michael Crabtree possibly for the year. But this is a, still a, a very, very good football team. Very good. This is a, a team, as far as I'm concerned, should have been in the Super Bowl the past two seasons. I mean, they should have beat the Giants. We all know what happened there. And as far as I'm concerned, they were a better football team than the Baltimore Ravens. But stuff happens as well. But this is a good team. This is a good team. And this is a team that's going to be there when it's all said and done. Can they finally get over the hump? Can they finally get over the hump? And that's going to be big. Will they be able to get over the hump? Can they get by and finally do what they – I mean, they've been close, too close, also close. But they have not been able to push it over the top. Can they do it this season? I think they can. I really do. They're going to be a tough out. But the one thing, as I said before, before we had Terrell Brown on, injuries and sports change Everything. It changes everything. It's the it's the great equalizer in sports, injuries. It's the great equalizer. The great equalizer in sports. And the thing about it is and I talked about this last week with the OKC Thunder. I talked about this with Steven Stroudsburg in the Washington Nationals. There are no guarantees. In life, no guarantees in sports. Bottom line is this. When you have an opportunity to get it, you got to go get it because you never know when that opportunity will present itself again. If you see a beautiful lady walking down the street, try to get her phone number because you probably won't see her again. If you have an opportunity at something, grab it. Because you might not get another opportunity to grab it again. That beautiful young lady. You might only get that one shot to go after her. You might only get one shot to go after her. And guess what? You could possibly miss out. You could possibly miss out. Because you didn't take advantage. You didn't pounce when you needed to pounce. You didn't pounce when you needed to pounce. And that's the way I look at it here. No different in sports. No different in life. You only get a lot one opportunity sometimes. And if you don't take advantage of that opportunity, that opportunity may never present itself again. And then you're all messed up. You're all messed up because now you have regret. I should have gotten her number. 
Why did I not try to get her number? Anything could have happened. Why did I not get her number? I should have got her number. Why didn't I get her number? Why did I let her pass me by? Why did I let her pass and not get her number? And I look at that the same way I look at sports. Injuries are the great equalizer. changes things. Ask the Chicago Bulls and Derrick Rose and Luau Dang. Ask OKC with Russell Westbrook. Ask him. Go ask him. Ask OKC with the trade of James Harden. Go ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Just go ask him. So you only have one opportunity sometimes to make it happen. The 49ers, fortunately enough for them, were able to get to the NFC Championship game last year, two seasons ago, I should just say, against the Giants, and were able ultimately to break through and get to the Super Bowl. But they were not able to get it done. They were not able to bring it home. You got to bring it home. They were not able to do it. Unfortunate thing for the San Francisco 49ers. But again, you could argue now they're a better football team, especially at the quarterback position with Colin Kaepernick. But it should be interesting to see how Kaepernick is going to be with a full season under his belt. With a full season of tape. Defensive coordinators now have film on Colin Kaepernick. There's film on him now. Should be interesting to see if it will make a difference. May not. I mean, Colin Kaepernick seems to be the truth and nothing but the truth. He seems like he's the truth. He's the real deal. The real deal. He seems to be the real deal. So, as far as I'm concerned, the 49ers are definitely going to be there. They're definitely going to be there. The question is, you know, obviously you're missing Crabtree. How different? How much of an effect will that have on this Niners team? How much will that affect the 49ers in 2013. How much would I stop the 49ers in 2013? And could it be just the start of what could happen injury-wise for the 49ers? Or any, I mean, it's just the nature of football. The nature of football, the nature of the beast. I mean, this guy last year, Michael Crabtree, was truly, truly big time. 85 catches, over 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, he was big time for the 49ers. He was an explosive weapon for the San Francisco 49ers. Now he could be on the shelf for the rest of this season. But we shall see. Switching gears now, Mario Williams. Mario Williams. We all know the whole situation. Bought his 
fiance at the time, a $785,000 ring. $785,000 ring for a woman who was going to be his fiance. $785,000. Yeah, fail. $785,000 ring. $785,000 ring. Think about that. Think about the stuff that you could buy with $785,000. Think about the type of house you could live in for $785,000. Think about the type of cars you could drive with $785,000. Think about the type of clothes you could buy with $785,000. Think about it. Think about it. That's a lot of money. And there was reports in the text messages that he contemplated suicide and so on and so forth. Well, $785,000, I would contemplate some things myself. And, you know, he's, he, obviously he wants to get this ring back, and rightfully so. I mean, from from the female's perspective, why would you want to keep a ring of a man that you're not going to marry, that you're not going to marry? That ring represents your relationship. You're no longer in that relationship. So why are you keeping a ring? doesn't make sense to me. Give the ring back. Give the ring back. Give it back. Give it back. And according to his fiancé's, well, his former fiancé's lawyer, Mary Williams had mood swings throughout their relationship. Um, Mary Williams, dramatic mood swings. And, you know, there were some texts that he wrote. One one text was, no money in the world should leave me with suicidal thoughts. He says he's fine, Mario Williams. Said, you know, in anger. Said some, sent some texts. He was quoted as saying, in a moment of anger, I talk about everything. And I'll tell you that. And I don't know too many people who would say they don't. Have you seen any of the notion, me needing any kind of help? I mean, everybody needs help from time to time. Everybody. Everybody needs help. Maybe she shouldn't have made those text messages public. Maybe she should have kept them private. But the reality is there's a lot of money here at stake. $785,000. She can sell that ring. Get a nice little house, nice little car, and put some money away. And, you know, she says she released these text messages because, and to show how upset Mary Williams was, how upset he was, how upset he was. This is, Crazy story. 
Mario Williams said he never contemplated suicide. Never contemplated suicide. Never. Never. Never contemplated suicide. That's what he said. His former fiance's name is fiance's name is Erica. Aaron, excuse me, Marzuki. Aaron Marzuki. And reality is, Aaron wants to use that seven hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. Keep that seven hundred eighty-five thousand dollar ring. I don't blame her. But as far as I'm concerned, the ring represents your relationship. Being that your relationship is now over, why do you need the ring? He deserves his ring back as far as I'm concerned. Now you can argue, okay, once you give it to somebody, it's theirs. But as far as I'm concerned, you're giving the ring to a, to that person with the thought that you guys are going to be together forever. Well, they were not together forever. And they broke up. So, being that they're not together forever, that ring is a token, that ring is a symbol of their relationship. But the relationship is now over. Therefore, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, that ring needs to be returned to Mario Williams. He needs to have his ring back. He deserves to have his ring back. Give Mario his ring back. That's his ring. He paid for it. This relationship, that ring was, a, a, a again, was a symbol of your relationship. You don't have a relationship no longer. Therefore, that ring needs to be returned to its rightful owner. And that rightful owner happens to be Mario Williams. That happens to be Mario Williams. He needs to have his money back. She needs to give his money, his ring back. He needs to have his ring back. I think she should give it back to him. I really do. And Mario Williams, you know, he said, you know what? Well, at least allegedly, there's talk that he took some pain pills, and that caused him to 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 text some of the things that he texts. And some of the texts were, I need to go back in my shell. There's no telling what I'll do to myself at this point. I'm sorry, I'll disappear from now, for, from now on. So, who knows where this will go. But bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. Mario Williams, at the end of the day, 
paid $785,000 for this ring. The ring is worth $785,000. She needs to give it back. A lot of schools of thought here. But as far as I'm concerned, if if I were to you know, and ultimately me and my wife were to ultimately got married. But if I were to get, I gave my wife the engagement ring, right? If she would have broke off the engagement, I would have wanted the ring back. For the simple fact is I want the ring back so I can get the money back that I spent for the ring. That's my money. We're not married. We didn't make it that far. That's my money. Not your money. My money. So I would want to take my money. Or take the ring, I should say, and get my money back. That's what I would want to do. So I don't blame Mario Williams whatsoever. Aaron Mazuki, and I hope I'm saying your name right, give Mario the ring back. Give him the ring back. That's his money. Not your money. That's his money. Not yours. We shall see how this case turns out. They're in court now. I'm hoping Mario gets his money back. I'm hoping Mario gets his money back. Let's go back on the field in the NFL. And for many years, this man was considered one of the fastest players in football. Not only the fastest quarterback, but the fastest player. One of the fastest players in football. This man happens to be Michael Vick. And Michael Vick in the interview said, you know what? He's still the fastest quarterback in the NFL. And judging by how he beat LaShawn McCoy in a 40-yard dash, maybe he is. Maybe he is. And here's the thing. I hope it translates onto the field. I hope that trans- it translates on the field. I hope his quickness, his speed will translate on the field. I'm a Michael Vick guy. I'm a Philadelphia Eagle guy. That's my team. That's my team. So I know that I I watched a lot of Eagle football over the past two seasons. Three seasons, I should say, under Michael Vick. And I I have to admit, last year it seemed like maybe Michael Vick was not as fast as he once was. Maybe. Maybe. He was not as fast as he once was. But, you know, he beat LaShawn McCoy. He beat LaShawn McCoy in a 40-yard dash. And this is a Michael victim many believe has lost this step. Many believe he's lost this step. And like I said, it seemed like he did. He was getting run down by linemen. That never happened to Michael Vick. Getting run down by DNs. That never happened to Michael Vick. Never. 
happen to Michael Vick. Never. Never happened to Vick. Never happened to that guy. Michael Vick never get, got ran down by Lyman. But it looked like that Vick lost a step, but hey, he, still, he claims he's the fastest quarterback in football still. And there's a lot of fast quarterbacks out there. Colin Kaepernick, RG3. A lot of fast ones. Michael Vick says, you know what? I'm faster than those two. Them. I mean, excuse me, me. Not them. Fastest guy in football. Fastest quarterback in football. Me. Not them. Me. Not them. So, we'll see. We'll see if Michael Vick. I, I mean, I like to see it. Let, let's 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 do it. Let's get those guys out there. Let's get Kaepernick and, and RG three and Russell Wilson and Michael Vick. Let's put them out there. Forty yard dash. Let's give the the, the winner gives the money to a charity of their choice. Let's get some sponsors. Get a bunch of sponsors lined up. Nike. Somebody. Come out there. Let's get some sponsors. Let's televise on the NFL Network. Who is the fastest quarterback in football? And let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. RG3, Vic. Let's throw Vic out there. Let's throw RG3. Let's throw Cam Newton out there. Why not? Russell Wilson, you go out there. Kaepernick, go on out there. Head on out there. And let's see what happens. Race to the finish between these guys. Let's see it happen. Vic, Kaepernick, RG3, Cam Newton, Put them out there. And let's see who will win in a 40-yard dash. Let's see who is the fastest quarterback in the NFL. Let's see. Let's see. I'd I'd pay to see it. I, I think I would pay to see it. I don't know how much. I'd pay to see it. I, w- I would love to pay it. I-, I-, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I'll pay a little money. Five dollars. But I'd definitely watch it on TV. I would definitely watch it on TV. I definitely would watch it on TV. And speaking of musty TV, the NFL draft. It's going to be moving. It's going to be in May in 2014. It's going to be in May. So you're going to have a situation where you have the season ended in February, free agency in May, March, 
free agency in March. Combine and all that stuff. March and April. Draft in May. Then all the OTAs and mini camps and into June. Training camp in July. Preseason start up in August, late July, early August. Season starting in September. And guess what? We'll have an all-year-round situation with the NFL. I mean, essentially, all-year-round situation, but even more so now, will you have it? You'll have it. I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. I think it would be a good idea. I think it would be a very good idea. And I, and I know coaches aren't too happy because, you know, it, it, it creates more work for them. It creates a lot more work. And they're already working 10, 12, 16-hour days. Scouting and, and looking at film and determining who's what. What's what? You know, now the coaches, they'll, they'll have less than a month, theoretically, to coach up their rookies. Coach up their, to, to coach their rookies. To get them up to speed. To prepare for training camp. So, it should be very interesting. I mean, I, I'd like to see it in, in place. Definitely would love seeing a place. Seems to be a scheduling conflict, and, and that is one of the reasons for this move. But I think obviously, if you're Roger Goodell, you want to make this move. You want to. I think you want to see it out. You want to see it in play. See if it really is a legitimate thing. See how it works. See if it'll be good. I think it'll be great. I think it'll be great. I think it's a great idea. At least it's to, to, at least let's see it out. Let's see it out. Let's see how it'll work. Let's put it into practice and see how it'll work. Hopefully, it'll be great. It'll be great. And we will continue to talk about the NFL from January to December. January to December. We'll see what happens. See what happens. See how this will work. Let's see how it works. Also in the NFL, Josh Brent. And we remember Josh Brent last year for the Dallas Cowboys in a horrific car accident that killed his best friend, Jerry Brown, practice squad player for the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, apparently Josh Brent now, who's out on bond, apparently there was some detection of alcohol with Josh Brent. And apparently it was set off four times in February and March. And they're saying that, and both sides are saying this, both, you know, the, the state and 
Josh Brent's team, they're saying that it seems like there may have been some alcohol in the air. Or it could have possibly been a situation where it could have been mouthwash or or hand sanitizer. But they're adding more monitoring for Josh Brent. They'll be monitoring much closer to see whether or not Josh Brent is staying clean, staying free from alcohol. I hope he is. I mean, I I hope he is, and I hope ultimately he learned his lesson. And I I said this before around the time it happened. And I know he's a repeat offender. I I get that. I know this is the second time he's had issues with, with this. I get that. But, you know, is anybody hurting more than the mother of of Jerry Brown. And and she said to support Josh Brent, to support Josh Brent. She is the mother. She is the one that's hurting more than anyone else. She's hurting more than anybody. I can imagine, two kids of my own, I can imagine having to have to bury your own child, your own children. I mean, that's just painful. That has to be very painful. I don't know. I don't want to know. But you look at this whole story, this whole situation with Josh Brent. It's tough. I mean, I I I, I said I, I just I hope the guy doesn't do time. I, I think he's suffered enough. I, I think it's safe to say he's suffered enough. Has anybody suffered more than Josh Brent, who killed his actions, killed his best friend? His actions killed his best friend. Not just any friend, his best friend. And you have to live with that now for the rest of your life. That's prison in itself. That That's something you have to relive night in and night out. That's something you have to deal with night in and night out. That's a prison in itself. That's punishment to me, that's enough punishment to me. And, and and I say that mainly also because of what Josh Brent's mother, I mean, what Jerry Brown's mother said. Support Josh Brent. Support Josh Brent. Josh Brent. Support him. So as far as I'm concerned, she said support him. Let's support him. And, and I was one of the guys that didn't have a problem with him being on the sidelines. I believe that was there. I believe that was the Steeler game where he was on the sideline. I didn't have a problem with him being on the sideline. A lot of people did. You know why I didn't have a problem with him being on the sideline? Because Jerry Brown's mother said support Josh Brent. She said support him. She said it. Who's hurting more than that? Jerry Brown's mother? Probably no one. It's Jerry Brown's mother and possibly Josh Brent. Those two are hurting probably the most in this particular situation. So I didn't have a problem with him being on the sideline, and I hope ultimately that he avoids time. I really do. I hope he can find a way to avoid time. Hopefully. But it's going to be tough. He is a repeat offender. He definitely is a repeat offender, so it's going to be tough. 
for him to avoid. Should be interesting to see what happens with this particular case. But I'm wishing the best for Josh Bryant in this particular situation. Can he avoid time? And that's going to be very, very interesting. Very interesting. Also, going to the NBA now, there have been talks or reports that the Nets tried to talk to Doc Rivers about their vacancy, their coaching vacancy. Apparently to the reports, Danny Ainge has denied the Nets an opportunity to talk to Doc Rivers. They denied it. And if you look if if you're Doc Rivers, I mean obviously I would think judging by what's going on in Boston now, I mean Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce getting older. Boston is now going to have to make some changes. And you know, Rondo is more likely now Pierce, you know, Pierce talked about, tweeted it out, put it on his Facebook page, you know, he's probably going to be gone from Boston. Pierce is probably going to be gone from Boston. Garnett, he's old. He's getting older. Do you you continue to trot out that same team? Try to retool. Try to make some moves. Or do you move on from that big three? Do you move on from the Celtics' big three? What do you do? Is Boston in rebuilding mode at this point? Is Boston in rebuilding mode at this point? Something to think about. Something to think about. So uh, to me, the Brooklyn job would be much more appealing. Darren Williams, a young Productive center in Brooke Lopez. Joe Johnson. I mean, the net situation, as far as I'm concerned, is a very appealing situation in comparison to the Boston situation at this point. The Nets seemingly are on the up and up. Boston, conversely, you could argue, is, is on the way down. You could argue that Boston's on the on the way down, and I, I wonder what Doc Rivers would do, how successful he could be with that Nets roster, which is, like I said, they have some talent. I mean, are they? Do I see them at this point, even next year, beating or getting better than the Heat? No, getting better than the Pacers. They can get close, the Knicks possibly. But I do think the Brooklyn situation is a better situation than the situation in Boston. I do believe that. I do believe that Brooklyn situation is better than the Boston situation. Boston's an older team now. They really are. Where do they go? Where do they go? K 
Kevin Garnett, 37 years old, 17 years in the league, no spring chicken. Pierce, 35 years old, 14 years in the league, no spring chicken. And these are arguably your two best players, at least this year with Rondo getting hurt. You have a Jeff Green who was big in these playoffs. But, I mean, other than Garnett, Pierce, and Rondo, and possibly Jeff Green, you're talking about a bunch of role players. Avery Bradley, a role player. Courtney Lee, role player. Jason Terry at this point. A little more than a role player, but a role player. You're talking about a group of role players at this point on the Boston Celtics roster, other than Pierce, 35, Garnett, 37, and Rondo coming off an ACL injury. So if you're Doc Rivers, what is the better situation? Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Gerald Wallace, Brooke Lopez, and the Brooklyn Nets, or a 37-year-old Kevin Garnett, a 35-year-old Paul Pierce, and Ray John Rondo coming off an ACL injury? You tell me. I think that net situation is a little more appealing. I think that net situation is a little more appealing. And if I'm Doc Rivers, I would love an opportunity or a shot at coaching that particular basketball team. If I had a shot at coaching that basketball team, I would love to do it. Boston at this point is on the way down. You could argue Brooklyn is on the way up. How up will Brooklyn be? How up can they go? Time will tell. But I know this. It's a better situation than what we have in Boston. It's a better situation than trying to retool and win with a 37-year-old power forward and a 35-year-old Paul Pierce and a point guard coming off an ACL injury. I think it's better than that. I think Darren Williams and Joe Johnson and those boys, Gerald Wallace, Brooke Lopez, I think it's a better alternative than what you have with Boston. But we'll see how it goes. We shall see how it goes. And Phil Jackson... If he had an opportunity to start a team, he would pick, no, not Michael Jordan. No, not LeBron James. He would pick Bill Russell. He would pick Bill Russell if he was starting a franchise. And, you know, you you, you can't go wrong with with a stud big man to build around. You definitely can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that. I mean, if it was me, I'm picking Jordan or LeBron. That's just me. I mean, I look at it this way. Yes, it's good to have a, a dominant big man, but the reality is a big man has a hard time creating his own shots. He needs help to create his own shots. 
So you're going to have to build around him. And it's 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 not hard to build around a, a dominant big. But Bill Russell wasn't really known for his scoring. He was known for his rebounding and, and, and shot-blocking abilities. guy like Michael Jordan, he's a guy that can score the basketball, can defend the basketball. A guy, a guy like LeBron James, score the basketball, pass the basketball, defend the basketball, do it all. Either way, you can't go wrong if you hadn't shot at Bill Russell. You can't go wrong if you had a shot at LeBron James. You can't go wrong if you had a shot at Michael Jordan. If you had to pick those three, there's really not a wrong pick. I would prefer a wing guy, a guy that can create his own shot, put his own self in position. That's what I would. That's what I would do. I mean, a lot of people forget Bill Russell was surrounded by a lot of great players. Probably a lot easier to win a championship in that era than it is now. Or than it was when Michael Jordan was doing it. More teams. Better players. More athletic players. A lot of people, you know, we, we, we talk about the NBA, but we and say, oh, the 90s were a great time. Yes, the 90s were a great time of basketball. 80s were a great time of basketball. Yes, the 80s were a great time of basketball. But the guys in the 80s and 90s can't do what some of these guys can do from a pure athletic standpoint. They can't do it. LeBron James is a 6'9", 6'10", freak of nature. A freak of nature. You didn't see a LeBron James probably ever. I mean, the guy is 6'9", can handle, can run like a gazelle. There's not nothing, there isn't anything on this court, on this court, on the court that he can't do. There's nothing on the basketball court that LeBron, that LeBron James can't do. He can do it all. And then some. 30, 10, and 10 will tell you all that. And I've always said in, in talking about LeBron James, he's always been to me a combination of Magic and Michael. Probably not quite the scorer as Michael. And probably not quite the passer as Magic. But he ain't too far behind in, either, in both of those categories. He's special. He's truly special. If it was me and I had an opportunity to pick a player, I'm probably picking Michael Jordan. He's, his, his, his competitiveness, his ability, just his will to win, it's second to none. Six for six in the NBA Finals, in his NBA Finals appearances. Six for six. Oh, by the way, there's no game sevens in those six for six. Who won the MVP in those six finals? Michael Jordan. Did any of those games go se- any of those series go seven? No. Michael Jordan wouldn't let it go seven. 
He's too good to let a series go seven. So as far as I'm concerned, his his competitive fire, his ability to score the basketball, his ability to defend the basketball. I would say Michael Jordan, to me, in my opinion, if I had an opportunity to pick any guy to start a franchise, I'm starting it off with Michael Jordan. That's what I'm doing. And as Phil Jackson said, I will flip a coin. Quote, I will flip a coin. Whichever one came up heads or tails, I'd take that person. They were that good. Hey, maybe Phil's trying to sell some books. Well, obviously he's trying to sell some books. So, I'm not saying I don't believe Phil Jackson. But again, he's trying to sell some books. Can't argue with a man trying to sell some books. He ain't talk about Kobe. He never really talked about the Kobe and LeBron comparison until he wrote the book. And again, I can't knock a man for doing what he's got to do to make that money. I can't. I won't. I'm not going to knock a man for trying to make his money. Nah. I won't. I won't do it. Big Ben Roethlisberger now has some interesting comments. You know what he's saying? And these are his comments, quote, from a USA Today article. People ask me all the time about these young quarterbacks. Let's wait. One year does not mean a lot in this league. Let's see what happens in two, three years. Fair point. Fair point. And I talked about a couple minutes ago with Colin Kaepernick. There's film now, a lot of film on this guy. Let's see what kind of adjustments they make. Russell Wilson, there's a lot of film on this guy. Let's see what adjustments teams make. RG3, a lot of film on this guy, on this guy. Let's see the adjustments teams will make. There's a lot of adjustment that teams make. Defensive coordinators are, are up in their basement or up in the office at the team facilities watching film trying to find ways to figure out how to stop the RG3s of the world, the Colin Kaepernick's of the world, the Russell Wilson of the world, the Andrew Lux of the world. They're up late at night drinking their coffee, burning the midnight oil, trying to figure out a way to stop these quarterbacks, trying to find out ways to stop the read option. They're up late at night Why, while you and I are comfortably sleeping in our beds. Defensive coordinators around the league are up trying to find ways to stop this new wave of quarterbacks, trying to stop these young guns, 
trying to stop these young guns. Big Ben is right. What makes you good and great is longevity and being able to do it over the long haul. What makes Michael Jackson great is he came back with hit after hit after hit. What makes Prince great? He came back with hits after hits after hits. What makes Jay-Z great? He comes back with hits after hits after hits. One hit don't make you great. One hit does not make you great. Just doesn't doesn't make you great. You got to do more than just one year. One hit. You got to do more than that. Come on. You need more than that. You need more than just one hit. One hit. One year doesn't make a career. Just doesn't. One hit, one year doesn't make a career. You need more than just one hit if you want to be successful. A lot of artists, I, I, I'm sitting here now speaking of one hit, just looking at one hit wonders from the 90s in the, the area of music. Songs that I remember. I'm in the 90s, man. I was in high school in the 90s, in college in the 90s. Someone to hold, Trey Lorenz. I don't know if you ever heard that song, but it's only one song. His only hit. People may have thought that he was going to be the next big thing, but it didn't turn out that way. Just did not turn out that way. But the point is, you need more than just one year. You need more than just one hit to say you're great, you're good. Good and great is something that just doesn't happen one time. Good and great is something that happens multiple times, consistently. That's what good and great is. That's what good and great is. Good and great just doesn't happen one time. So Big Ben is right. He's definitely right. I'm interested to see. I'm looking forward to what happens with the RG3s and the, the, the Colin Kaepernick's and the Andrew Lux this year, the Russell Wilson. And a lot of people forget about Russell Wilson. There was a point during last year where Teams were saying, you know what? Well, well, the, you know, put around the league, the talk was maybe, maybe if you're Seattle, you need to go to Matt Flynn, the guy you paid a whole bunch of money to have. Maybe you need to go to Matt Flynn because there were games where Russell Wilson 
has some struggles. He has some struggles. There were times where, you know, you look at, uh, and I'm looking at Russell Wilson's numbers now. I mean, game one, 153 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not great. Game two, 151 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Game three, 130 yards, passing, two touchdowns. Game four, 160 yards, passing, three interceptions. Start to get a little better. Game five, 221 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Game six, 293 yards, three touchdowns. Gets a little better. Now, game seven, only 122 yards and a pick. Game eight, two touchdowns and a, a pick. Game nine, three touchdowns and no picks. 173 yards. So, I mean, you look at the numbers, I mean, he only went over 200 yards eight times last year. Seven times, excuse me, last year. Only went over... 200 yards seven times last season. And there were times throughout the course of last season where, where, where you, you heard talk is, it's time to bring in Matt Flynn. Maybe it's time to bring in Matt Flynn. Maybe it's Matt Flynn time. Maybe. Maybe it's Matt Flynn time. And NBA game is going on right now in the Heat and the Pacers, 22-12 to 12 early in the first quarter. So the Pacers are coming out with a level, uh, a lot of energy, coming out with a, with a purpose, coming out and playing with a purpose early on in this ballgame. Roy Hibbert off to a good start. Eight quick points for the Pacers, three for three from the field. Still getting that big-time play from their bigs, David West. One for one, six points for the Pacers. Like I said, that front court still has to be dominant. And they're getting dominant play from the bigs. George Hill has to step up, and he's off to a good start. Two for two, four points. I said George Hill has to step up. I said George Hill has to play better. I expected George Hill to play better. And to this point, he is playing better. Four points already in the first quarter for the Indiana Pacers and George Hill. I, and it's still early. A lot of basketball to be played. Let's let's get that out of the way right now. A lot of basketball to be played. A lot of basketball. And but George Hill only had five points in game one, so he's off to a, a great start for the Indiana Pacers. And the Pacers up twenty-four to twelve early in the first half, first quarter, I should say, against the Miami Heat. I said they would come out in this game and and play good basketball. And like I said. You know, they're still getting that production from their bigs. Still getting the production from West, who's off to a good start with six points, and Hibbert, who's off to a good start with eight points. So if you continue to get that production from your big men, from Weston and Hibbert, and you have George Hill step up and, and start scoring as well, you're going to be in a good position if you're the Indiana Pacers. 
you're going to be in a good position. A very good position. And right now, they're in a good position at this point as the Miami Heat are down 24 to 12 early in the first quarter. If Hibbert and David West continue to play like they're playing, the Indiana Pacers can win that series. I don't want it to happen. I'm hoping it doesn't happen. But you never know. The way that they're playing right now and the production that they're getting from their bigs, they're going to be tough to beat. You get that type of production from your bigs, you're going to be tough to eat, tough to beat. Hibbert and David West, if they continue to produce the way they're like they're producing, and it's still early, but if they continue to to put on to, to score those type of points, they continue to to dominate the way they're dominating. It's going to be very tough for the Miami Heat to win that series. I want to go to boxing now. Three minutes left in the show, and last week I went out to Atlantic City and saw Devin Alexander, a friend to the show, and a guy who's supposed to be joining us next week, next Friday. So mark it down, Devin Alexander will be joining us next Friday to talk about his victory. I mean, he won the fight, beat a guy with one hand basically as he broke his left broke his left hand against Lee Purdy, but he just was pounding on Lee Purdy and pounded on Lee Purdy. And ultimately, Lee Purdy's corner stopped the fight. And, you know, Devin Alexander, it seemed like it was target practice for him. The uppercuts, throwing a whole bunch of punches. And a lot of people, you know, are, are, got down on Devin Alexander, especially especially after the Bradley fight and also after the Randall Bailey fight where, you know, it wasn't the most exciting fight. But you people have to understand, it's not going to be an exciting fight fighting Randall Bailey because Randall Bailey is not going to throw a lot of punches. He's not going to throw a lot of punches, and and the fight that he uh, the fight with uh, Randall Bailey beat Mike Jones. He didn't throw a lot of punches, but he threw some big punches, and those three big those big punches hurt Mike Jones. Ultimately, those big punches hurt Mike Jones, and ultimately, Randall Bailey was able to win that fight. So Devin Alexander, who's a who's a, a big time boxer, he can box. He can box. And he boxed Randall Bailey. I mean, you don't. Let's be real. I mean, a lot of people criticize Floyd Mayweather as well. But let's be real. You're not going to go toe-to-toe with a Randall Bailey. That's all Randall Bailey has is that big punch. You're not going toe-to-toe with Randall Bailey. That's stupid. Don't be dumb. And so a lot of people criticize him for that fight. But Devin Alexander pounds out a big-time victory against Lee Purdy. He will be joining us next week to talk about that big-time victory against Lee Purdy, and he's up. Who knows, possibly Floyd. I don't think he gets that fight, but if not Floyd, definitely Amir Khan in in December. So that should give his hand enough time to heal. But, I mean, I'm sure he's going to want that hand. He's going to rush it. I mean, if he has the opportunity of Floyd Mayweather, he may go into that fight not 100%. He may take an opportunity to go into that fight not being at 100% because, again, going up against Floyd Mayweather, fighting a Floyd Mayweather is a lottery ticket. And he has an opportunity to cash out. I want to thank Terrell Brown for stopping by. Make sure you check his website at terrellbrown.net. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com 
slash PCAM, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at Go4Can. Also, check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash user slash Go4Can. For everybody here at go for it. we hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.